Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On PFF's College Football Show. I'm your host, Max Chadwick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman. If you're wondering why our preview is coming out a little earlier in the week, well, it's Thanksgiving week. We both have some plans with our families. So we're doing one episode a week, and that's why, obviously, I'm not in the studio right now in my girlfriend's apartment. But we're doing one episode this week, but we have to preview the five biggest games of Week 13, the final regular season weekend in college football. So it's a very, very busy holiday schedule for both of us, Dalton, but we will be remiss not to give you guys the uh, the preview of some massive games, including, in my opinion, the biggest game of the season. Uh, yeah, it's not the week to miss, for sure. There's there's no holidays in football season. And you've got <laughs> you've got massive, massive games. I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, you know, we keep talking about the playoff and where we're going in January and all that. The playoff starts this week. We, we've gotten this scenario now where just every game matters there you have elimination games you have teams just trying to stay alive this ohio state michigan game especially it, it's really the first playoff game um because i i'm assuming that that the loser of that game ends up probably number five mm-hmm. um and i know i know ohio state especially has had a really good road to getting here but we the playoffs are now it, it's on so uh, it's you you can't miss it you know early we got to do it early, but there's just no way we we couldn't pass it up. No, way. no, we had we had to do it, of course. And yeah, so like I said, there's a lot of questions still unanswered. Who's going to be the Final Four playoff teams? Who's going to win the Heisman Trophy? A lot of other questions as well. The first game doesn't really have playoff implications, Dalton, but has some massive Group of Five implications in terms of UTSA at Tulane, uh, which is a Friday game, Black Friday game at 3:30 p.m on ABC, the first of two Black Friday games that we're actually talking about today. The storyline, obviously, like I just mentioned before, there's a spot in the American Athletic Championship on the line in this one because the winner of this game obviously clinches a spot in the championship game next week. The loser, still not technically out, but they do need SMU to lose to Navy, which probably won't happen. So the loser of this game, by all accounts, is most likely going to be out of the AAC championship game. And also out of the New Year's Six Bowl running. Right now, Tulane is the favorite to be the Group of Five team that represents them in the New Year's Six Bowl. Maybe UTSA does it if they beat uh, Tulane, although I do think there are some schools like Toledo and Liberty that might get in over UTSA UTSA if they went out. But some massive implications, Dolan, and not really playoff ones, but some huge, huge ones, not only for the American Athletic Conference, but for what Group of Five team that we're going to see in a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, I think it's very likely that the champion of this conference will be the representative, unless it is UTSA. UTSA having three losses is probably going to exclude them, and then you start thinking about Liberty or somebody like that. If mm-hmm. if they were, let's say they were to win the American, beat Tulane, and then probably SMU, that would kind of be the exception here. But no, this is an excellent game. If you if you feel like it's Black Friday and you don't want to watch Tim Boyle and the Jets play the Dolphins, I definitely put this is the best low key game of the week. Honestly, it's yep. it's it's you have two terrific football teams uca you uh, sorry uh utsa not ucla utsa has got blazing hot over the last five weeks tulane won the, they you know they beat usc last year in their bowl game new year's six bowl trying to get back there michael pratt is starting to get hot now too the last couple weeks tulane had had a stretch here where they were playing i don't want to say lesser teams but teams you would think they would dominate not playing the most dominant football season pratt's been dealing with a knee injury all year but he's starting to find a groove. This is this is honestly this may other than Ohio State Michigan, this might actually be the most evenly matched best game of the week. Dude, I can't wait for it. And you know, this is one game that I was looking at. And I was diving into the numbers. I was surprised by how similar 
both these teams were. You, know, you look at their offenses. You mentioned that Frank Harris the third for UTSA, star quarterback for them. Michael Pratt, star quarterback for Tulane. Also, the offenses are both top 20 in the country in receiving grade right now. Both offenses have really good receiving cores. The weakness of each passing game is the offensive line. Both offensive lines are atrocious in pass protection this year. Right now, Tulane, 95th in the country in pass blocking grade. UTSA is even worse. They're 113th in the country and pass blocking grade. And you look at the other side of the ball, both defenses have their weaknesses for sure, but both are very strong in terms of pass rushing. UTSA right now has 42 sacks this year as tied for fourth among all teams in the country. Tulane is 11th in the country with about a 46% pass rush win rate. And both defenses are outside the top 75 in coverage grades. So you got weak coverage units, but really good pass rushes, really good receiving cores, really good quarterbacks, but weak offensive lines. So you got, you know, strength on a weakness and weakness on strength on both sides. But also you mentioned, you know, how you're going to see two-star quarterbacks in Pratt and Frank Harris. You might think, okay, they're going to be under pressure a lot in this game. They're both some of the best quarterbacks in the country when under pressure this year. Frank Harris III has the third best passing grade in the nation when he's under pressure this year. And Michael Pratt is seventh right behind him as well. So you got two quarterbacks who handle pressure really well, two offensive lines that have really struggled, two secondaries that have really struggled, and then two pass rushing units that should be able to get home pretty consistently in this game. Yeah, for sure. And actually, I found a fun fact, actually, on the American quarterbacks in the American including these two over the last three weeks, the top six spots in overall grading by quarterbacks, four of them are in the American. Wow. You've, you've got Preston stone for SMU second, um, Frank Harris and Chandler Rogers for North Texas tied for third and Michael Pratt six. So this, this I'm telling you, this is quality football. These quarterbacks and these teams, you've, you've got some really, really solid offense being played. Now I think a key for me in this game is what do we get with it's it's a fun matchup of Pratt specifically against UTSA's secondary. Now in total, does it look like like they've struggled in total, but you kind of cut the season in half, right? The first mm-hmm. six weeks of the season, UTSA's coverage grade was the worst in the nation by almost 10 points. It was they were just making mistakes left and right. It was easily the worst secondary in the country. And since week seven, they, in that stretch, in the second half, they've moved themselves into, like, the top 40. It's not like Alabama or something like that. But that level of improvement from the first half of the season to the second half has, has been a lot of fun to watch. And it just comes with – I'm not going to tell you this, like, some first-round NFL standout or they even have, like, the next Tariq Woolen or, like, any of that. But they – they just are playing much better fundamentally sound football. They're, they're just so much more sound. They play a ton of zone coverage, right? Co- cover four quarters, mm-hmm. right? Sitting four guys deep. Only Pittsburgh plays more cover four than UTSA. Sit back, keep it in front of them, make tackles, play fundamentally sound. Now, why this is fun is that Pratt, when he's thrown into zone coverage, is right up there with all of the elite quarterbacks in the country, Caleb Williams and Jane Daniels and, and Bo Nix and all these guys thrown into he's in throwing into zone coverage. He's just as good as those guys. Okay. And what he does when he gets these zone looks, especially quarters, they have things in their offense that are designed, you know, cause that, that style of defense, you don't let it get over the top, right? It's an umbrella. Mm-hmm. You sit back, maybe you drive on the ball, you know, when there's an opportunity in the intermediate parts to get an interception, but for the most part, keep it in front, make tackles. Tulane has things in their offense designed to get over the top 
Michael Pratt is not afraid to take shots, vertical shots into zone coverage. And that's going to be the fun, most fun matchup here is I think especially early in this game, Tulane's going to come out and they're going to take shots down the field, right? The run game for both teams, you mentioned the offensive lines, has been more of a struggle. Like Tulane mm. can still run the ball, but it's not quite the same as when they had Tajay Spears last year. I think Michael Pratt early in this game is going to take shots down the field. They have some things in their offense schematically that are designed to beat UTSA's exact coverage looks. Now, if they can, ex you know, then the question is if you can execute it, obviously you always, you know, deep shots, everything's volatile, all that stuff. But I'm looking for Michael Pratt early to take shots in this game. And especially over the last couple of weeks, you know, he struggles a little more against man coverage, but UTSA is not a man coverage team. What they do, even though they're playing well, plays into Michael Pratt's strengths. Dude, I love that. I love how, you know, great breakdown, obviously, with the UTSA playing. such a great, you know, amount of zone coverage, you know, except right behind uh, Pitt in terms of cover four rate. And then Michael Pratt is one of the best in terms of attacking zone defenses. So, yeah, I think it's just – it's a really interesting matchup for a lot of ways, man. I think these are really similar teams in a lot of ways as well in terms of where the strengths lie, in terms of where their weaknesses lie too. So, yeah, I can't wait for this. This is actually, Dalton, this is the first – group of five game that I think we're talking about in any of our previews that we've done. And I think we started in week three. So it's been about 10 or 11 weeks of previews. And this is the first group of five game that we're doing is a massive, massive group of five games. So ultimately who do you think is winning this game and advancing to the American athletic championship game and maybe being a, a new year six team at the end of the day? Well, I tried to talk you into SMU Memphis last week, and that, <laughs> that ended up being a terrific game. It was. I tried to talk you into it, and you wouldn't let me. But, um, no, I, I actually, you know, I, these are two very, very well, – it's a good matchup. This is an evenly matched – these are two evenly matched teams. UTSA is really good despite the slow start. They started one and three, and I believe they've reeled off seven in a row. And, I, I and like two of those – two real quick, two two of those losses were Frank Harris was out during those games too. So, like, yeah. you could say, man, they might be 11-1 team or 10-1 team right now with Frank Harris fully healthy the rest of the whole season. Yeah. The, the way they're rolling right now, this is an even matchup. I'm, I'm going to take I'm gonna take Tulane, though. I think it's very hard to win at Tulane. It's very, very hard to win down there right now. I think Pratt's strengths playing into this defense, and he's starting. He looks healthier. He looks like he's moving better after the knee injury. He had a miss mm -hmm. in a couple of games. The, the loss to Ole Miss, he didn't play. You know, he's moving a little better. He takes shots into zone coverage, and I think he's kind of, when we talk about a lot of these quarterbacks, and it's group of five, and like you mentioned, we haven't talked a ton of group of five. He's kind of the forgotten guy among the really good quarterbacks in, in the country. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think he's in a, like a first round conversation with some of the freaks that we have in the power five, but he's definitely a guy with NFL prospects. And, and I, I like him in this game, if, especially if I think they're going to get vertical early on and he's good, they're going to try to make Frank Harris match Pratt. And I, and I think if that's the case, then Pratt's going to win it. I'll take Tulane 34 to 28. All right, I'm taking Tulane as well, 28 to 24. And yeah, Michael Pratt's a guy that, you know, there are rumors that he might enter the transfer portal after this year. He kind of shot down those rumors, but you never know, man. If he does, I mean, that would be a huge, huge name in the portal. Might be the, honestly the top quarterback in the portal as well. I think right now he's a second round prospect on PFF's big boards. So he might enter the draft ultimately too. But uh, yeah, man, it's, this is going to be a great game. I'm really, really excited for this game. We mentioned before, I, mean, I mentioned how, you know, two of UTSA's losses were without Frank Harris. Well, Tulane's only loss this year was to Ole Miss, who's a top 15 team in the country easily. Also, Michael Pratt was out for that game as well. So you might make – and that was a close game for, for most of that game. 
you can make the argument maybe Tulane pulls off that win over Ole Miss. Maybe Tulane's 11-0 right now uh, with Mike with Michael Pratt in there in the lineup. So really interesting game. I'm, I'm really excited for this one. I got Tulane as well, 28-24. I think they punched their ticket to the AAC championship game, most likely against SMU, and they move one step closer to their second straight New Year's Six appearance, So, which would be a massive thing for that Green Wave program. But the other uh, Black Friday game that we're talking about in this preview is number 15, Oregon State, at number six, Oregon. And I mentioned those rankings. Those are the AP poll rankings because we're currently recording this on a Monday night. So we don't know quite yet what the uh, college football playoff rankings will be. But right now, number 15 at number six, 8.30 p.m. on Fox is the time for that game. The storyline is, again, we've said this before, some other rivalries. This is the last game in a storied, storied rivalry. They're only 40 miles apart. Uh, This is their 127th game between Oregon and Oregon State. When you look at that in terms of the uh, rivalries that have played the most games in FBS history, that's tied for fourth behind Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, Auburn. And then you got tied for fourth. You got Oregon, Oregon State, Miami, Ohio, Cincinnati, and Stanford, California, or the other teams that are tied uh, for that one as well. So they've met every year since 1945. But that's ending this year because Oregon is leading the Pac-12 for the Big Ten, and they don't have an opening on their non-conference slate until at least the 2029 season. So we're not going to see this game maybe for a very long time, but at least for another five or six years uh, because Oregon's you know schedules are already locked and loaded already. But um, Oregon State now, man, they have an opportunity to deal one last blow to Oregon for not only destroying the conference that Oregon state is still a part of right now, but also maybe, you know, ruin their playoff chances as well with Oregon, you know, basically one loss away from being eliminated from college football playoff contention. So another kind of sad storyline, but this is the last, you know, civil war that we're going to get for quite a long time, which is pretty sad. I never would have guessed that Miami, Ohio, and Cincinnati was that high. Neither did I. I didn't, I, yeah. I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice that they play every year, to be honest with you. But yeah. Um, no, yeah. This is this is it's this. I mean, and if you're gonna have you know this be the last one, it's still incredibly high stakes. Look, Oregon is one loss from from being out of the playoff picture. Mm-hmm. Right? They need to run the table. They need to beat Washington again. All that stuff. Um, Oregon State. Played, they played a good game last week. I think the conditions were right for them to win. You know, the weather, the weather played a big factor, and and they, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time with them because I'm not sure that those weather conditions make it hard to really sometimes gauge like, oh, who's obviously the better football team or this, or that, you know, and, and they played it really played into their style of play with the run game and the offensive line and as, and as rugged as they want to be. And they still came away short. Um, this is this is an interesting matchup because the rivalry thing plays, and obviously we have it with all these games this week where the rivalry thing plays. Yeah. But the one, you know, watching it on Saturday, the one thing that became really apparent to me, and we I talked about last week with Oregon State, the coverage unit struggling, right? That wasn't as big a thing, other than they didn't really have an answer for Odunze, but Michael Penix was only pressured four times last week and, and Oregon state, I told you they don't blitz. They only blitzed him six times and, and it, the entire game. And, and you just, you can't just send four at him and this and Washington's really good in pass protection, but we've talked about Oregon and their pass protection. And it, it's, it's the best we've seen 
maybe ever. Honestly, yeah. their their pressure their pressure rate still only sits at nine point six percent. And I, I've mentioned this before. Usually, the leaders in the nation are hovering around thirteen. So it, it's it's the outlier of outliers. You have the best center in pass protection, the best right guard in pass protection, the best team like ever. And if Oregon State's not going to get a pass rush going in this game either, I'm not really sure how they're going to slow this down. You know, it's that. And I understand, you know, Uyagalele, streaky. I'll cut him some slack because it was just absolutely pouring. I mean, it just you just can't throw the ball in that weather. And Penix still managed to make five big-time throws, which is nuts. But they, they're going to need Uyagalele to be really, really good in this game because I, I don't – I'm, I'm struggling to see how the Beavers' defense keeps up with what Oregon has going on their offensive line. And just and plus, Bo Nix just getting rid of the ball. He gets rid of the ball so quick, and it goes to the right spot. Their screen game is crazy. They can take any play in the screen game, 70 yards. Um, this, is, this is a tough task. This is another tall task for Oregon State. And, and I, wonder, I wonder if their defense, and, and they played relatively well last week, especially on the back end, didn't get much, much pass rush, but – this this might even be with the balance Oregon has an even tougher task. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, this offense has been second in EPA per play, right behind LSU. When we know how ridiculous LSU's offense has been this year, so Oregon. I mean, the offense just doesn't have a weakness anywhere. I mean, you have a Heisman candidate in Bo Nix, who I think still might be the leader in terms of odds to win the Heisman Trophy. You got the best offensive line in terms of pass protection in America. You got an incredible run game too, led by Bucky Irving. Uh, and then the receiving court is fantastic. You got Troy Franklin might be uh, playing his way into first round conversations. Tez Johnson has been a star for them. Bo, Bo's actually adopted brother, Tez Johnson, which is a really, really cool story um, that I encourage you to watch our Bo Nix interview that we did. You know, he, he talked about extensively how excited he was to play with his adopted brother. And now they're killing it together, which is really, really cool. But yeah, this offense and you got Will Stein drawing it up beautifully as well. I just there's not really a weakness on this offense, and you, you take away one area, they could beat you in, in so many different areas. So it's one of the best offenses in college football for that reason, which is why I'm looking looking at the other side of the ball and saying, man, Oregon State has one thing that they do really, really well offensively, and that is pound the rock, man. They have the most physical offensive line in the country. Oregon, this is actually an interesting matchup. Oregon is the best and by far in pass blocking. Oregon State is the best by far in run blocking. Talisa Fawaga, the rest of the guys they have in that offensive line have been absolute road graders this year. Uh, 84.2 run blocking grade this year. That leads the nation. They are sixth in the country in terms of EPA per run. So in order for Oregon State to really keep pace in this game, I think the bread and butter of their offense needs to be the bread and butter in this game. And they need to really pound the rock because then it opens up some some avenues for DJ Uyunglele to, to make some plays off play action too, which is where he's really excelling this year and actually having a better year than I think most people are giving him credit for. But it really starts and ends with the run game. I don't think this is a game that you can go in and say, okay, DJ, you got to go toe-to-toe with Bo Nix in this game and really expect to come out on top. I think this is where you need Damian Martinez, you need the offensive line to get push in that run game uh, and take down Oregon that way. And Oregon – they're getting kind of been average this year in terms of run defense. They're right now 50th in the country uh, with 4.8 yards per attempt allowed. They're right in that top 50-ish range, too, for run defense grade. So pretty average Oregon run defense. So I think there will be opportunities for Oregon State to really slow this game down and keep their defense off the field, which with Oregon, that's really the name of the name of the game is just keep your defense off the field and you know try to make this as low scoring and as slow of a game as possible. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, Oregon State, you have to just lean into your identity. And the one the one counterpunch with that is is Oregon. So I talked before about Oregon State runs a boatload of outside zone. They want to get off yeah. tackle and essentially, especially with tight ends, run the same play over and over and over. Now, I'm going to throw the small sample caveat in here because it's not very – it's only a few dozen snaps. But Oregon actually against outside zone has the number one run D grade. Wow. In the country against that concept specifically. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, I'd have to look into this, probably some other things, if it's counter, if it's power things, gap schemes, things like that, but trying to run side to side on Oregon, you know, they, they have a really fast defense that they just flow together very well. It's, Oh, it's, it's a problem. They, I, I think they have the ability to challenge the foundation of this Oregon state offense. I just thought of the brothers thing too. How about what Patrick Herbert's doing for them also? On the yeah. Offensive side, but, I mean, yeah. just, that's just, you mentioned the brothers thing and I was like, wait, isn't that? Yeah, that's right. But, <laughs> um, but no, I, I think, I think Oregon now again, Oregon state, they have no other choice. They have to lean into the identity that even, even if that number, and again, on tape, it, it, it looks good, but it's, a, it is a very small sample. I'll admit it. Um, they got to lean into it. And, and I think actually for as much as the rain last week, and I don't know if it's going to again this week, I know Pacific Northwest, it always is, but kind of help them it didn't help Uyagalale get mm-hmm. into the play action and then they got behind and especially getting to the drop back late in the game it just wasn't happening because he really wants to take those vertical shots he's not going to nickel and dime you through the rain and conditions even though he's got a huge arm absolutely but he's not a nickel and dimer like that he's looking for 20 plus yard shots so they still have to lean into it they still if they're going to win this game they still have to be the more physical football team um, there's, there's no reason to change it now. They are what they are, and they've gotten this far. And if they're number 15, last week they, have, they were number 11. It's gotten them this far, and they're just going to have to continue to ride it, and their best chance of winning this game is is being the more physical team, especially offensively. Yeah, absolutely. You just reminded me, too, of, you know, you mentioned Patrick Herbert, Justin Herbert, obviously, little brother. Justin, obviously, uh, been a great quarterback for the Chargers, no matter what people tell you, um, for a number of years now. It's pretty funny now that Bo Nix is throwing passes to Patrick Herbert when Bo Nix's first ever college victory was against Justin Herbert in that game. I remember that Oregon-Auburn game uh, back in 2019. Oh, it was like crazy. Wasn't it like last second? Last second. Yeah, that something was on the last that drive. Was, yeah, Bo was a five-star true freshman starting for Auburn. And if he made that, you know, last second game-winning play. And that was... You know, everyone was kind of hyped up for Bo Nix, and obviously the, the Auburn tenure of his career didn't really go as planned after that. But still, it's pretty funny thinking about how long Bo Nix has been a starting quarterback in college. I mean, it's been 2019, 2020, 21, 20, he's been five years the starting quarterback in college, whether at uh, Auburn or Oregon, just because of the you know COVID nineteen rule. So it's crazy now. We did, whereas Justin Herbert's on his second contract in the NFL, and Bo Nix beat him in college and Bo Nix is now in his you know fifth year in college as well. So Bo Nix has been playing for a long time, man, and his final year in college might culminate in a Heisman Trophy, but only if they win this game, Dalton. So ultimately, who do you think wins the final civil war for the foreseeable future? I, I like the Ducks a lot in this game. Um, in Austin, uh, the, the big thing for me, again, watching last week, just the pass rush was non-existent. And, and Bo Nix leads the Power Five from clean pockets in completion percentage and yards. And he's thrown 31 touchdowns from a clean pocket. If you, if you, and I know it's hard to get to him. Look, Oregon's offensive line is even better than Washington's and they only got to Penix four times all night. 
I, I just I'm having a hard time seeing how their defense keeps up. I, I, I totally understand what they're gonna they're gonna try to do it again. They're gonna try to get physical, slow the game down, time of possession, the same things they do to everybody. But again, when they've played legitimate passing attacks, they've struggled on the back end. I I, I this could be a big, big game for Troy Franklin. We saw what Odunze did last week, even through the rain, just back shoulder city, man. He looked like Devontae Adams out there. I I don't Oregon State, it's like if this game, it's that thing of like, well, if this game goes their way to their pace and all that stuff, sure, they could win it. But it feels the same as last week where they're just trying to do all that and keep themselves in it mm-hmm. and maybe one drive to finish it off. But I, I don't think Oregon, especially at in Autzen, if you can't get to Knicks, I mean, I don't know how many teams in the country can with this old line the way it's playing right now and the way this offense is schematically. I, I'm going to take the Ducks. It's probably going to be high scoring again. I'm going to take the Ducks 45, 45 to 27. I think it's, I think it's going to be pretty. I think Oregon, it's another one. It's kind of like Georgia, not as bad as Georgia, Tennessee last week. I think Oregon State's better than that. But I have a team, I have an elite team against what I think. It just took us longer to find out because of the way their schedule was. I think Oregon State's closer to a solid team than an elite team playing Agreed. with Oregon. And, and props to them. They played a tight game, pouring rain. I, look, if it was better weather, I don't know that that would have been so close with Washington. I, I felt pretty confident Washington was going to win that game, even on the road. I, I like Oregon a lot in this game. Yeah, same. I got Oregon winning this game as well. I got a 38-24. Uh, again, I, I think you said it perfectly where Oregon State, I've, I know I've been kind of down on Oregon State and their fans really didn't like me that much when I had them much lower than 11th like they were last week. Um, and I still don't agree with them being 15 this week. I think that's still crazy. Um, but I still – think this is a solid team this is a good team that has played close all their losses i will give them all their losses have been close losses this year i think all of them have been they lost to washington state by three points they lost to arizona by three points they lost to washington by two points so it's been a field goal or less for every one of their losses i just don't think they have the wins to justify still being a top 15 team even with uh, three losses this year, but I still think they'll be. I think they'll keep it relatively close for a little bit. But I agree with you. I think Oregon. This is a team that just feels like they're going to pull away at the end. And yeah, thirty-eight twenty-four. I, I got Oregon winning this one, winning the final game of a storied rivalry, and then setting up basically a de facto playoff game that we got next week between Oregon and Washington. Assuming Washington, of course, takes care of business with Washington State. But even if they don't, even if Washington loses. Uh, they probably still probably is a playoff game between Oregon and Washington with the winner, not only winning the Pac-12 conference, but most likely going to the college football playoff as well. So I got Oregon in this game, uh, beating Oregon State in the final Civil War. All right, Dom. now the biggest game, not only the weekend, I would argue the biggest game of the season. And we're going to get into a, a championship game next Saturday between Georgia and Alabama that you can argue is the biggest game of the season. But man, I would be hard pressed to find a bigger one than this. Ohio State, Michigan. It's there is a reason why it's called the game, and man, it's the biggest. It's been the biggest game basically the last couple years, uh, and it, is, it holds true this year as well. Noon Eastern time on Fox. Like I said, there's no other way to put it, man. This game is absolutely massive. There really isn't a storyline besides this game is everything to both of these teams. Not only do these teams hate each other, not only is this the most hated rivalry probably in college football, also. These are two top three teams in the country right now. These are two 11-0 teams that the winner of this game wins the Big Ten East, goes on to the Big Ten Championship game to face Iowa, which is, let's face it, a, a much worse team than either of these two teams. So most likely the winner of this game 
this is a playoff game. This is basically a de facto playoff game between Ohio State and Michigan with the winner most likely advancing to the college football playoff. Uh, and even juicier is that Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh won't be on the sidelines for this game as he continues to serve that suspension for the sign-stealing investigation that's going on right now. So that means offensive coordinator Sharon Moore will continue to be the head coach for Michigan. And, you know, he passed his first test with a win over Penn State. Again, won his second game against Maryland, but it was a lot closer than a lot of Michigan fans probably would have hoped for. So, man, it's just a, a juicy storyline for what should be, in my opinion, the biggest game until we the college football playoff. Yeah, no, it's it's certainly obviously the biggest game of the regular season, as as it seems to be every year now. And I think for a while, and I wonder if the tide's starting to turn, it's it's been kind of thought that between the game being in Ann Arbor and Michigan doing what they were doing to the Big Ten West, essentially, what, you know, that there was this idea, I think, that Michigan this whole time is just clearly better than Ohio State. And you dig in on all the metrics and kind of the way they've played the last two weeks – Ohio State's just kept rolling, man. Ever since that win at Notre Dame when they got it last minute, Marcus Freeman, 10 guys on the field, chip train him, got him in the end zone. And 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 I think – I don't think – I mean, first, let me go with this first. These two teams are dead even. Yeah. They are not – I think Michigan – you could argue that Michigan has a, I, an advantage at quarterback, but I don't think as big as people think. There's – Kyle McCord's not bad by any no. means. I, I, I hear too much of this where it's like, well, Michigan's quarterback is way better. And I go, I don't I don't know that he's way better. I don't mm-hmm. think we know that. Kyle McCord's played really good football for basically the entire season. You know, there's 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 one flaw that I'll get into in a bit, but I I, I don't get this thing where people think there's like this distinct advantage at quarterback and and that Michigan Michigan's just the better team. I, they're dead even, man. I mean, yeah. what is a what does what does Ohio State have to do? I, I'm going to be honest. I don't think there's a more defining moment. We, we've had some moments this year that you know Washington panics against Oregon and the missed field goal, and and we've seen some things. And, and Jalen Milrose emerged. I don't think there's a more defining moment of this season than that speech Ryan Day gave after the Notre Dame game. I I, I think, and I know it's all, you know, it's fighting with Lou Holtz and and don't call us (laughs) soft, but I I really think that's what this Ohio State team is. That speech, that game, toughing it out, defense, everyone calling them soft, you know, ever since they lost, you know, they've lost to Michigan two years in a row because, yes, Michigan out-physicaled them. This is a different Ohio State defense. This is a different Ohio State, even the offense. This is not, obviously, we we already know, it's not the same high-flying Four mm-hmm. receiver, C.J. Stroud, Garrett Wilson, Smith and Jigba, Chris, all these guys. Obviously, you still have Harrison and Ibuka, but, like, it's it's different, right? Harrison, it's it's looked a little more, I almost want to say, professional, where it's like, yeah, you got to work it, man. you gotta you got to run slants, and you got to do things in this offense that they need you to do, which is, you know, why I, I don't think he should be in the Heisman race because of the numbers, but the adjustment he's made – makes me even more sure that he'll just be a superstar in the NFL because he can Easily, do it yeah. all, man. It's not it's not coming. It's not necessarily coming easy because they don't have C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, one of those guys. But McCord's played really good football. And this team, I think, I think more than anything, I do think they've made up the gap in physicality to make this a dead even. I mean, I know it's usually a dead even game anyway, but they were getting beat because they were a little softer. They're not now. And, and I think – I think Ryan Day told everybody after that Notre Dame game, and I'm not 
I'm sure there's people that still don't believe him for some reason. Dude, it's it's gonna be again. I think Kyle McCord, I agree with you. I think Kyle McCord gets a little too much hate, whereas he's just a victim of following up Justin Fields and CJ Stroud, who are I mean, look at Fields have struggled in the NFL, but I mean he was a top 15 pick in the draft, one of the most accurate and best, frankly, quarterbacks we've seen at the college level since we started in 2014. And C.J. Stroud, I mean, he might win MVP in his rookie year, and only Jim Brown did that before. So uh, C.J. Stroud has been fantastic, and obviously it's tough following that up, man. It's tough for Kyle McCord to follow that up. He's been solid. He's been a really, really solid quarterback for them, Uh, and the run game has been really good. Marvin Harrison Jr., even though I'm very against the Heisman conversation for him right now, he's still one of the three best receivers in college football and just by the numbers. And you're asking me to take one just to start a team with, I'm taking him as well. I still think he should be the first non quarterback selected in the NFL draft, but yeah, man, I I just think this Ohio state offense, it's really not the offensive team that we've grown accustomed to. Now is the defense. Now it's Jim Knowles and that side of the ball where you remember like those years with chase young and Jeff Okuda back there on that defense and leading the way. Um, they don't really have a true, true, true superstar like a Chase Young, uh, but they are just sound across the board, man. And they have a really, really good D-line, really good linebacker unit, and really good secondary. So that was my big matchup was what quarterback steps up in this game? Because Jason McCarthy was kind of a top Heisman candidate. We talked about him in our Heisman conversation early on in the season. All that hype has kind of died recently. You know, in that Penn State game, he did not throw a single pass in the second half against Penn State. Now, granted, that was because they were running the ball so effectively, but still, he didn't throw a single pass in the second half. And then in the last week's game against Maryland, he had one of his worst games of his career and, and nearly threw that game away for, for Michigan. He had a season-low 47.3 grade, and he had a career-high four turnover-worthy plays in that game against Maryland, which I mentioned before is a lot closer than a lot of Michigan fans were anticipating. So J.J. McCarthy started off really hot. Kind of been on a downswing these last couple of weeks. So I'm interested in seeing how he does this week in the Comic Accord. Um, you know, he's really been good these last couple of weeks. That Michigan State game, he had a 91.6 grade in that game. He had a couple, uh, a four big time throws in that game as well, which is a career high for him. Um, so still a really solid quarterback in Comic Accord who is grading right near an 80 on the season, which is still really, really good. Just not the superstar of that, you know, CJ Stroud and Justin Fields and even Dwayne Haskins and guys like that were for the Ohio State Buckeyes. But like you mentioned before, man, I mean, these are two top three, maybe top five defenses in college football. Right now, they're two of the top three defenses in overall grade, two of the top three defenses in EPA per play, and also two of the top three defenses in coverage grade as well. And they're in the top 10 for both run defense and pass rushing grade, I believe, as well. So you got two fantastic defenses with no real weakness anywhere against two quarterbacks that you just don't really know just yet. You don't really know what they're going to be doing in the game, in this kind of big game against two elite defenses. I'm really interested in seeing it. I think ultimately what, what could decide it is what quarterback steps up and makes the big boy throws necessary to ultimately win this one. I'm, I'm going to narrow it down from that even further. And, and what you have is, you know, I was, I was digging in. I go, okay, what's what's the difference? What is it? And, and it's it's so weird how these two teams are basically exactly the same. And they're mm-hmm. the same even – they're the same even to me in their one flaw, okay? So let, let me go with the biggest strength here, and then I'm going to start with McCord. These, by the grading, are the two best defensive lines in college football, all right? They're one and two. I think Michigan's one and Ohio State's two, but it's like a sliver separating them. They're, they're the two best D lines as, as a unit. In college football. Now, when I when I was looking through this, the winner of this game will be the team that that can find a way to pass protect. All right, because 
These two teams rank Michigan's 52nd and Ohio State's 58th in pass protection. They struggled in the Notre Dame game. It's closer in the low 40s without outside of that game. But really similar teams in that there are times when they struggle to pass protect. And, and for Ohio State, it's obvious they give up a little more pressure up the middle. The center, Carson Hinsman, kind of struggles a bit. Kyle McCord is the 11th best passer in a clean pocket in the country, right up there with all those other names we talk about every week, right? And under pressure, he is the ninth worst. So it's it's very simple. Pocket quarterback doesn't move, gets rid of the ball quickly. Two point five six seconds. Pretty that's pretty quick. I think it's in the within like the thirty fastest somewhere in there. Gets rid of the ball. He understands his role in the offense. But the if Michigan can get quick pressure, I don't know if they'll come out blitzing and try to man to man the outside. It's a little risky because Harrison and Abuka I think combined for two hundred and forty five yards last year on him. That's, that's a dangerous proposition. If Michigan can get home quickly with four, especially up the middle, that's kind of where Ohio State's softer. You get McCord under pressure, then you got issues. The thing with McCord is, you know, with him getting rid of the ball the way he does, he's only been pressured on a little under 25% of his dropbacks. That's, that's a darn good number. So if it's a number similar to that, I like Ohio State's chances. On the other side, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say something that might ruffle some feathers. Okay, so it's assumed that Michigan ran the ball the entire second half against Penn State because, well, Penn State's not a threat. And and I was looking at it, watching the tape, and obviously, like, we kind of know Penn State's not a threat, but when they decided to do that at halftime, Michigan was up 14-10 to 10 mm-hmm. with an interim coach in his first game against a top-10 team on the road. That would take a ton of guts – just to say at halftime, hey, they're not a threat. Let's run the ball every play. And they did run the ball well. Obviously, they won the game. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you the secret. They could not remember we talked about in the preview of that game, Chop Robinson and those guys could give them problems. Yep. They couldn't they couldn't pass protect against Penn State. They couldn't block them. No. The the run blocking the run block was obviously a different story. And even then, the game at half again was 14 to 10 or 14 to 9, because they were going. Penn State was going for two for some reason. <laughs> they, they could not pass protect in that game. They just got it. If you go back and watch the pass plays, they actually ran. I know it's not a ton. I know it's the first half and early in the game, whatever. Make adjustments, win a game, cool. They couldn't block those guys at all. Like yeah. their passing game, their passing game straight up was dysfunctional. And they, I, I guarantee you, there's there is a greater than you would think chance that they went into halftime. And the coaching staff looked at each other and said, we can't pass protect. Let's just let's just get physical and see what happens. And then they just kept rolling with it as opposed to, hey, we're just going to run the ball every play the second half because it's Penn State. Who cares? No, you don't do that. That's yeah. not, especially on the road. You don't do that. I'm telling you right now, there are some issues. And McCarthy holds the ball much longer than McCord. Time to throw closer to 2.9 on average, mm-hmm. which is reasonably long, reasonably they don't they don't get the ball off that quickly. And and I, I just wonder if that's what they looked like against Penn State. I think the pass block grade in total was like a 20. All right. And granted on only like 12 or 13 dropbacks, something like that. There's gonna be an issue in this game because you you got to look, Ohio State can run the ball too now. Travion Henderson's healthy this year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Michigan's got Corum and Edwards. Both teams can really run the ball. But this is what it's going to come down to. I, I think when we look back on this next week, whichever team pass protects is going to win this game. 
Because I think their quarterback will be able, including McCord, whichever one it is, will be able to make plays if protected. But I'm, I'm telling you right now, Max, go back in that first half and watch Michigan-Penn State and watch Penn, Penn State's pass rush was dominating. Dominating. To the point where Michigan basically, I, I'm telling you, I think they went in and said, let's just not throw the ball if we don't have to. Because a strip sack is actually the worst thing that could happen to us. On both sides, I'm worried about this. And, and I think it's going to be the deciding factor as much as obviously the quarterback's performance, but I think if protected, they're both going to perform reasonably well. This is going to be the part who, which one of these teams could possibly get a 35, 40% pressure rate in this game. Yeah, absolutely, man. I don't know if I want to go back and watch the Michigan Penn state game at all, but I do remember just, when just, watching just, a, just, just the first half. Don't watch. <laughs> yeah. I'll watch that. Yeah. I'll watch. The, I do remember watching the, uh, when I was watching live, I remember Chop was just destroying uh, the right tackle. I believe Carson Barnhart's name, but uh, he was destroying him on every play. And I was like, oh, my God, like they can't block him right now. And then they started chipping him a little bit more. And then obviously they just stopped throwing the ball altogether. But, yeah, that's a problem, man, because you got, you know, Ohio State D-line that maybe Chop it would probably be the star of that D-line in Ohio State. But they got JT Tuimelo. I always played really well. Jack Sawyer. Jack, Jack Sawyer over the last four weeks is the fourth best pass rusher in the country. He's good, man. He's he's a very underrated and player. Two and Moloow, they run they run a ton of stunts. Sometimes they'll send Eichenberg or Chambers. They they there's a lot. They both of these teams have some serious units. Like they don't have yeah. neither one of them has like a Leatu Latu or a Jared Burst, but they got some units loaded with guys who are gonna get they're gonna get selected like rounds two through four is gonna be like all Ohio State Michigan D linemen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Michael Hall Jr., uh, another high safety tackle. He's played really well uh, over the course of his career. So, yeah, man, that's, I think that's a great matchup, too. It's just, yeah, because I do recall, I mean, Ohio State's offensive line was their weakness heading into the season. And look, it's been better than I anticipated it being, but it still hasn't been great. You know, last year, Ohio State's offensive line was fantastic. I mean, it was the best in the country, probably one of the best in the country. And this year, it's obviously when you lose both your tackles and Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones, you lose Luke Whipler to the draft as well. It's a lot to lose, man. And they haven't really recruited well at offensive line either. Really the only area where they haven't really recruited well is along the offensive line. Uh, and it's starting to show a little bit this year. So and then Michigan, obviously the two-time defending Joe Moore award winners, uh, I don't even believe they're nominated right now for a third time. Or if they are, they're, they're definitely not going to win it this year. So um, because of their pass protection issues as well. So, yeah, that's, I think that's a big key, man. I think that's a really good breakdown. It's like, yeah, it, it's going to come down to who can – really protect the quarterback before. And like I said before, it's going to come down to what quarterback can actually make the plays necessary and what quarterback shows up. Will it be the first half J.J. McCarthy where he was an absolute superstar um, and had and got to sit in the fourth quarter because of how well he he and the rest of the team were playing? Or will it be the J.J. McCarthy we saw against Penn State where they just didn't want to throw the ball at all? Or against Maryland where he almost lost that game for them in that game against Maryland? Which Kyle McCord will it be? Will it be the McCord in the first half of the season that was – Good, not great, or it'll be the common court that we've seen the last few weeks where it's like, okay, this guy actually is playing really good football for Ohio State. So I'm really interested in seeing that. Both secondaries are elite, too. I'm excited to see Roman Wilson against Ohio State. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, against Will Johnson, who could be a top cornerback in next year's draft. Uh, it's going to be an awesome matchup all the, all the way around, man. But ultimately, Dalton, who do you have winning not only this game, but winning the Big Ten East and – most likely punching their ticket to the college football playoff. Who do you have winning the biggest game of the year? Man, feels feels weird sticking our necks out on, on a game like this on a Monday, doesn't it? Letting, yeah. it sit all, <laughs> letting it sit all week like that, man. But I'm 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 gonna tell you, Max. I, I think 
I think Ohio State's made up the gap. I I think they have. I there call it a hunch. Call it. I I think a couple of things could happen in this game. One, Ryan Day, Ryan Day's on a mission, man. Yeah, I'm telling this this is the best coaching job since he's taken over that program. That this year. This is the best coaching job. The adjustment to how they run their offense now and the type of team they've become. It, it's it's incredible. Even with having arguably the two best receivers in the country and adjusting to this because of the quarterback, because of the defense, and because of what's needed to be done. Look, it's just a requirement to make the playoff while it's still a four-teamer that they have to beat Michigan. Mm-hmm. So be and, and honestly, they had to beat Notre Dame like this. They weren't going to finesse their way to a Notre Dame win either. They had, they had to do this. They had to make this transformation to get more physical. This is not soft Ohio State. It's not. It hasn't been. I'm telling you the defining moment. One of the defining moments maybe in Ohio State history is what that rant he went on after that Notre Dame game. And the game itself was a statement, man. They went into Notre Dame, played a physical, rough football game, and won 70-14, to 14, did the same thing. They out-physicaled Penn State. They do it every single week. They're the more physical team on the field. If they get a pass rush going, like we were just talking about, if Michigan's O-line looks the way even close to what it looked against Penn State in pass protection, they have major issues. I think we're going to come out of this game with Ohio's people, because I think there's a doubt now about Ohio State's ability to win a national title, right? There's, looks, there's already a doubt about them just going in and winning this game. I don't think people take Ohio State seriously as national title contenders. I think two things are going to happen. And it's still going to be a war. Don't get me wrong. It's Ohio State, Michigan. I'm not sitting here and calling a blowout or nothing like that. But I'm going with Ohio State is going to start getting legitimately talked about. Maybe they'll, maybe they can beat Georgia. Maybe they can't. But I, I think it would be a better game than you think. All right. And I think we might come out of this game with some questions about JJ McCarthy mm-hmm. because I, we've we've heard a lot of first round buzz. We were hearing Heisman buzz, but outside of the TCU game last year. What have we seen to suggest that he's not just like he's Michigan's quarterback, but is he on that level when you watch when you watch Penix and you watch Jaden Daniels and Bo and and Caleb? Do you do you feel like JJ McCarthy's no. on that level? No, I don't. I, I I I have a hunch he's not either. Now this is a game where he could prove he is. I just have a feeling he's not. And to be honest with you the best player on the field is Marvin Harrison. Yeah. It's still, it's still Marvin Harrison. And he had a, around a buck 20 on him last year. I don't think they have, I know Will Johnson's really good. Their defense is obviously sound and they, you know, they mix it up a lot, but Marvin Harrison's still the best player on either side of this, of this game. And Emeka Abuka might be second. I'll be honest with you. I, I love when they get Cade Stover involved, man. They're off. Yeah, good. Way, way better. I'm, I'm, you know, this is this is going to be a dogfight. It's on the road. It's going to be defense. It's going to look like the best Big Ten football you've ever seen. But I'll take Ohio State 27 to 24. Love it. Love it. I have – okay. So it's interesting because you mentioned how they need to be Michigan making playoff. And, and I know a lot of 
viewers or listeners might say that, okay, well, they lost last year and they made the playoff. This year is different, man. This year, there are so many teams. I don't think you can get a loser of this game in the playoff unless you have absolute madness happen in the other conferences. Because uh, I think, you know, we'll get into Florida State and Louisville, but I think if, if both of them win this weekend, I think the winner of that game would jump the, the loser of this game. I think you would have uh, Texas, if they went out, they obviously would get in as well over the winner of the loser of this game. You got Washington, Oregon, and you got Georgia, Alabama, like that, like, I just don't see a path right now for the loser of this game. So that's what makes this basically a playoff game in itself. Um, I actually have Michigan in this game. I, I picked Michigan to win it all before the season. I'm a little nervous now, especially without Jim Harbaugh, uh, but he is coaching during the week. So the, all the game planning stuff, he will still be a part of. It's just during the actual game, he won't be on the sidelines. It'll be Sharon Moore patrolling the sidelines for Michigan, but I like Michigan in this game, man. And listen, I know JJ, I, I agree with you. Even that TCU game, man, I know you said like that was a great game for him. And it was in a lot of ways, but he also threw two pick sixes in that game too. So he's kind of a roller coaster. And I don't know if I, how much I trust JJ McCarthy. I do trust him more than Kyle McCord right now. I do trust. Well, so quick question. Do you trust? So we've seen kind of both ways. Do you trust conservative Jim Harbaugh, Michigan 18 passes a game McCarthy in this one, or would you trust gunslinging McCarthy? Which one gives them a better chance to win? Because if we have two versions of him, what do they, do they need to unleash him or do they need to just do what they did against Penn State? Uh, no, they, they can't do what they did against Penn State. I don't think you can do what you did against Penn State against the, this defense. I think he needs to make, again, I think it's like I said before, I don't think he can hide. You, you can't hide him like you did in the Penn State game. You hit him in the Penn State game really well because Penn State just was so unsound in terms of their run fits and they couldn't stop anything on the ground. This is not one of those games. Like I said before, Ohio State's got a really good run defense, man. I think Michigan needs to let J.J. – or not even needs to let – they need J.J. to make big boy throws down the field in this game, which is – and I think he's more capable of that than Kyle McCord. I still think – again, I, I don't trust J.J. McCarthy that much. I, I don't think he's – I don't know if I would say he's QB3 in the draft right now. I, I think you and I would probably both say Jaden Daniels might be up there for QB3 or Michael Penix Jr. or something like that. But – I do think I trust I do trust him more than Kyle McCord. And that's why ultimately I'm picking Michigan to win their third straight over Ohio State. And still why I think, you know, I, again, I feel a little worse about it based off the Maryland game, but I still might pick them to win it all. If I if I still can make a prediction right now, I still might pick Michigan to win the national championship. I think this is one of the most complete teams in college football. And I think at home, especially, I think they get it done against Ohio State. I got 27-21. They're going to the Big Ten Championship game against Iowa. They'll probably win that game very handedly. And then they'll move on to the comfortable playoff. We'll see who they play from there. But, yeah, man, I, I got Michigan in this game. I'm glad you and I picked different teams because I think this is one of those ones that will go down to the wire. So I'm glad that one of us will be right. And one of us, that way we don't, we don't both will get it wrong. And then, of course, all the fans in the comments will let us know when both of us get it wrong. But, yeah, man, I got Michigan in this game, 27-21. You have Ohio State in the game. It's the biggest game of the year, guys. You better be enjoying it on Saturday because it's going to be massive. Another big game at noon. I know this is kind of not be the one that you have on your main TV, but you should have it on uh, if you have another screen. Kentucky at Louisville, man. This is a huge, huge one in the Bluegrass State. Louisville Cinderella run isn't a fairy tale anymore. That's the storyline I have in this game because they've been the biggest surprise in college football this year. They were unranked entering the season in Jeff Brom's first year as a head coach. Now they're nine and one. Uh, their preseason win total was eight games. They've already passed the preseason win total. They're nine and one on the season. And now they're a top 10 team in the country. And although, you know, you look at the top eight teams and, and all of them have probably a, a better chance of making a playoff, Louisville's still very much in it right now, man. They beat Kentucky. 
they'll if they beat Florida State, we'll talk about them right now because they have a huge, huge storyline at quarterback without Jordan Travis for the rest of the season. Uh, if they win that game, I think all you might need after that is, is Texas to lose one of the next two games um, in order for that to happen. So Louisville, very much still alive and very much not even a dark horse anymore to make the playoff. They're very much a college football playoff contender right now. But they got to be Kentucky this Saturday, who's a solid team. They're not a really good team or a really bad one. They're a solid team. You can't really overlook this one and look ahead to the ACC championship game, though. But like I said, if they win both then, yeah, they're very much alive for the CFP. And they very much could, you know, crack the final four and a team that not really anyone expected to even be in this position before the season. I think you said it exactly right. There, there are nine teams to there are nine teams still alive. Yep. And and you've got Louisville, I think, with pretty close to an as equal a chance, honestly, especially with Travis out now, as any of those other one-loss teams. Because I, I think right now, Florida State without Travis and Louisville, that's about an even game. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure who I'd pick to win that game, to be honest with you. That's I don't, that's that's going to take some digging, man. Um, Look, I, I think, and I think you said the right thing. The biggest obstacle for them, in all likelihood, because I think what they would need is Georgia to win out, take a spot. Whoever wins the Big Ten, I think they would feel better if it was Ohio State. I think if Michigan loses, there's a better case for leaving them out. Ohio State, I could see them finding a way to survive if some things happen. But let's just go. Let's. I do will this. say, let's go look, real quick. Louisville killed Notre Dame. Ohio State barely beat Notre Dame. I think that might be a – and also conference champion too. That might be a deciding factor. Do you think – so do you think – that's interesting, the Georgia one. Do you think – you know, we're getting into we're getting into the weeds now for a conversation that we're going to have next week. But you think if Georgia loses, they still put Georgia in over Louisville? Or do you think that's, – that's what I'm struggling with. Because I almost think it doesn't really matter who loses that game. But I don't know. That's tough. No, well, no Louisville's problem – oh. No, I, I – I think before digging into that, their biggest problem is going to be Texas. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think uh, let's let's just say I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ride right now. Let's just say Georgia's won and they stay there, right? Because mm-hmm. I think Bama beating them would still be considered an upset, right? It yeah. should be. Although Bama's really darn good, that's a threat. Let's say Georgia wins out. Whoever the Big Ten champ is, cool. Let's just say let's kind of are we kind of on the assumption that the winner of Washington, Oregon is just going to go, whichever it is. Yeah. I think I, I, and I don't know how much I would, I, I would, I would agree with it, but I think the way they're ranked for sure. I think, I think it's almost a lock that it, it, as long as they don't screw up, as long as Oregon doesn't lose. And as long as Washington doesn't lose this weekend, I think, I think that winner of that game is almost, it's pretty much a playoff game in itself. In my at, opinion. At, at that point, you're down to Florida state, Louisville, Texas, mm-hmm. right? If Florida state wins, they have to get in. I'm, I, I, don't I don't care. care yeah, I agree. Yep. It, it would actually convince me more that if they win these two games with a backup that they should be in. Not mm-hmm. not just that. They're also 13 and 0, care. man. I don't give a damn. 13 and 0, you in it. I don't care who's starting. I don't care if you and, or I are and, starting a quarterback. Yeah, I don't in 13 and 0. I don't care who, I don't know who's wearing who's wearing the foil hats that thinks if Florida State goes undefeated they should still be number 5. I yeah. if they win these two games without Travis, I'm more convinced that they should be in in. Yep. In number maybe number 2 or 3 in. Mm-hmm. So they're just throwing and beating Louisville, a top 10 team in the process. Okay. <laughs> they're absolutely in it. And they're absolutely really, really good. I want to be honest with you. If I could have, and we did it last week, actually, I should say, we put together the blueprint for how Miami could win that game. And for the most part, it kind of went like that. And Louisville still won the game. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost the turnover battle. It was, one, it was only one nothing, but Miami won the turnover battle. Van Dyke played a clean game. They ran the ball reasonably well. They had a shot to tie the game down in the five-yard line. That Miami's just situational. Really, the only reason they lost because they're just not good playing situational football. We've known this for six weeks already. But that game went – a lot of that game went Miami's way, and Louisville still found a way to win it. They're, they're just a really darn good football team, man. Mm-hmm. I, I, anybody doubting this at this point with Louisville is insane. And this game now with, you know, with playoff implications still on the line at Louisville, this is going to be nuts. That place, you thought they were – you thought – I mean, I know it's early, but you thought they were crazy during the Notre Dame game. These Louisville fans are going to be absolutely wild in this game. They've never even made the ACC title game. They've already got that locked. And now you've got – I mean, beat Kentucky. They're in it. I mean, that's – it's not – they're not on the fringes. It's not because they're number – well, they're number 10, right? We've got Missouri ahead of them, but I don't care. Whatever. They're in it. They're in the playoff race. If you talk about all these other one-loss teams, you talk about Louisville – just about equally with them. Because if Texas blows one of their next two games, Louisville's the next man up. Yeah. Absolutely, they're in this. And, and this, I mean, and obviously you got another rivalry factor here, but they're they're playing, they're playing darn good football, man. There should be no more doubters on this team. Yeah, absolutely. See, I, I think it is, and again, that's a great conversation. We're going to have a, I think we're going to do an episode of just mapping out what the playoff scenarios are after the Saturday. Um, but yeah, I think, I think right now for Louisville really is down to Texas, but I could also see the man. I could also see Georgia if they lose, maybe getting in. And I don't know if I would agree with that, but I could see the committee going for Georgia over Louisville. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting, though. Ultimately, Don, what is your uh, the matchup that you're really looking forward to seeing in this game? Um, I'm just trying to figure out where Kentucky's going to find this offense. Last week we talked <laughs> about we talked about. Yeah, I've been on this before, but we had to drag it back in. We talked about how good Louisville's defense has been playing. It's a legit unit. Ashton Gelati, Quincy Riley, Storm Duck. Everything about their defense just works. They play well together. They played. They played good last week. I won't lie to you. Miami just also played a solid offensive game. You get that sometimes, right? Look, Kentucky. Since week six, Devin Leary's got a fifty-eight passing grade, fourteen turnover-worthy plays in that stretch, third most in the country. Ray Davis, you know, remember how Ray Davis exploded on Florida for two eighty? Mm-hmm. He's got one one hundred-yard game since then. Yeah. And he's, yep. and he's like right at four yards a carry. They scored 14 points on South Carolina this week. A, a, a Louisville defense that's playing its best football of the year the last few weeks. I'm, I'm just trying to find – look, obviously their best chance is line up, run the ball, get physical. Miami had some success. They created four explosive runs, two of them. I think it was two of them for touchdowns or one of them went down to the one-yard line. They had, they had like four explosive runs in that game that accounted for most of the yards – but even then, a lot of times, that a lot of the carries that Miami tried to just line up and be physical and run right at them, wasn't really going so well. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, unless this is like just a super ugly defensive game, like played in the teens, I'm struggling a little bit to figure out where Kentucky's going to find points. Look, they're third in the country in run grade, but they're also 95th in run blocking. So yeah. it's like it's it's really is just Ray Davis and some of these ball carriers, even Leary as a runner. To be honest, lately he's been a better runner than passer, just finding ways to get yards to get first down. It's such a grind. And I, I think I, I'm I'm trying to figure out I I've just been having a hard time figuring out where, especially if Jack Plummer is gonna play, if he's gonna play like he did in the fourth quarter. He had ninety one passing grade in the fourth quarter the other day. If he's gonna play like that in big moments, it's because it, it, to me he's the X factor for Louisville, but 
Kentucky's offense is just it's it's a it's a it's a slog right now, man. It, it's it's tough. And this Louisville defense, we saw it. I know they give up thirty one to Miami, but it's a legit unit that can really play. I mean, this Louisville defense, man, is like a probably top ten to fifteen defense in the country right now. I mean, it's been incredible what they've done this year. And yeah, I mentioned before with Oregon State and how their bread and butter is running the ball. You know, at least if that isn't working, you have a chance of DJ doing something for you. I, I just don't see what Devin Leary right now. He's been, you know, again, over the last few weeks, he's been really bad. But over the whole course of the season, you know, he, he kind of pumped his grade up in those first few easy cupcake games. He's been whatever for them this year, man. And, it was, you know, that pretty good encapsulation of their team is that Georgia game where it was like, if you don't have a quarterback, Georgia's going to take away that run game, and then you better be able to make some throws down the field. And Devin Leary couldn't do it. And it's why they got blown out by Georgia. And of course, Georgia, you know, arguably the best team in America right now. But still, man, I, I think that's the problem with Kentucky's offense. That's the that's the matchup I have is just can Kentucky, you know, regain that form in the running game? You mentioned how Ray Davis just really hasn't been the superstar that he was early in the season. Um, I think they need that superstar Ray Davis to show up in this game. You know, like I said before, they have the third best rushing grade in the country. Only LSU and Oregon are above them. Ray Davis still has a fifth top 15 mark in uh, power five in terms of yards after contact with six, 627 this year. Louisville though, pretty good run defense. I mean, they're top 20 in the country at 4.2 yards allowed per attempt, 32nd in run defense grade as well. So it's not like there's a Louisville run defense that you could kind of run all over either, but I think Ray Davis needs to be kind of superhuman in this game in order for Kentucky really to have any chance of pulling off the upset in this one. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm going to take, I'm going to take Louisville. I think there's a mini statement coming here. I'm going to take Louisville 31 to 14. I, I just think, I just think if you're asking one guy to be a superhero against a team like this and, and your passing game is struggling this much, he was really good. Leary was really good in the Tennessee game, but otherwise it's just, it, it's been a struggle, man. It just—it's kind of one of these things that they were—they were hoping would work. Obviously, it was pretty good at NC State, but it—it it just hasn't worked. It's—it uh, just hasn't meshed the way they've wanted it to. And, and I think when you talk about you lose a game to South Carolina, seventeen to fourteen, you—you get to a point where your offense is kind of broken. Um, yeah. You know, they're going to play hard. They're going to play good defense. Kentucky's a good defensive team. They're very physical, but. I think there's just too much going on right now with Louisville between their defense, two good backs. We've talked about Jawar Jordan a lot. Isaac Arendo's brought a real physical presence to their offense that I think is kind of, it was kind of a bit of a missing piece earlier in the year. Once they've started to feature him, that two headed monster, that's a problem. And I, I just think Louisville at the end of the day, if they, as long as they get to at least 24 points, I don't know how Kentucky's going to get up in that range. And that's not yeah. even that many. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to get up in that range with them barring turnovers and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. at Louisville as well. So, yeah, I got Louisville this one, 30 to 21 in this one. I think they keep their playoff dreams alive, and it sets up a very, very interesting conversation next week that we'll have in terms of, okay, what will it take for Louisville? You know, what who needs to lose in order for the Cardinals to sneak into the Final Four? Is it just Texas, or do you need Georgia to beat Alabama? Uh, a lot of different scenarios that I think will be really, really fun to get into with Louisville if they end up winning this game, which I think you and I both say they will. You say, uh, th I said 31-14, right, was your final score? Yes. Yeah, so I got 30-21. So pretty much almost the same final score, but yeah, man, Louisville Cardinals, man, going to 11-1 and on the season. What a season for Jeff Brom and his first year, and he's probably going to be your coach of the year, honestly, at the end of the year, the way he's going right now, man. It's been incredible what this program has done 
uh, after having good but not great expectations uh, a year that going into the season. Now, man, they could be on a comfortable playoff if a couple of things go their way this weekend and next weekend. It could be very, very interesting to see what happens to the Louisville Cardinals. And the final game, Dolan, that we're talking about in rivalry weekend, one that obviously has big implications not only on the ACC but on Louisville as well, is number is Florida State going on the road to Florida in the swamp, 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. And the big storyline, obviously, maybe even college football right now, is Florida State now without their leader in Jordan Travis, who suffered a gruesome leg injury in the win over North Alabama this past weekend and it goes without saying that he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. I mean, his 92 grade over the last two seasons is tied for fifth among all quarterbacks in college football in that span. He is their leader. We interviewed him. He's a terrific kid as well. Um, Awful, awful blow for him. And we we feel for Jordan awful blow for Florida state as well. But listen, man, this is still an 11 and 0 football team. And like we said before, they go undefeated. They win these next two games. They're in the playoff. I don't care who's starting a quarterback for them. They need to be in the college football playoff as a 13-0 Power 5 champion uh, if they win these next two games. But it won't be easy, man, because you go into the swamp late at night for a Florida team that is right now 5-6, and six, meaning they need to win a game in order to make a bowl game. Uh, they need to win this game to make a bowl game. I, this is going to be a tough uh, test for, for Tate Roadmaker in this one, man. But, uh, yeah, obviously significant blow to Florida State's national championship aspirations this past Saturday. But they are still very, very much alive. Uh, to play for a national championship, and make the college football playoff. Yeah, it's 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 just awful. I mean, it's it honestly, and I know some people. There was a lot of people doubting them. Oh, they play down to certain teams. They get off the slow starts. This and that. Look, they had a team. Well, they wouldn't have been the favorite. Obviously, everyone's going to favor Georgia right now. But they have a team with Jordan Travis that could have won a national title. They had a yeah. chance. They did. I think right now you're down to like. You know, even like if we like Louisville, maybe to make the playoff, we wouldn't pick them to win a title or like mm-hmm. yeah, there's only five or six teams, I think, that are capable of actually winning the title. Right. Florida State was one of them for me with with Travis. And it, it's it, it's just terrible. I mean, between everything he's done for them, they were down for a few years. He's worked his way to being this good. This was not like an immediate five-star prospect you know they talk about it all the time he almost quit he almost quit mm-hmm. and, and and he came back into and to become the player he he did is is an unbelievable job and for it to, for it to end like that before they could really make this run now this is the meat of the run now having to beat the gators and then louisville that's it wasn't going to be an easy game with travis that's a really good team and and now you know it's i think the one thing i can emphasize because we've talked about this team enough this year they still have – look, that should still – that's their goal. Look, nobody's going to disrespect them if they don't win a national title. They're not supposed to do that with Roadmaker, right? They could still make the playoff. And I think just making the playoff, they finish off these last two games. They should be every bit proud of everything they've done. Undefeated, make the playoff. Whatever happens, happens. Man, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he should go in there if they're number four and beat Georgia. Or even if they're number three and beat Michigan or what have you. I don't know. But, look, you've still got an elite group of receivers – you got two really good backs. Mm-hmm. You've got Jarrett Verse is going to be in the top 20 in the draft. Told so they're somewhere, if they're not number one, they're one of like the three best groups of corners in football. Jerry on Jones is an absolute monster. Mm-hmm. Cypress on the back end. They, they've got so many guys on their team that make this a good football team. This was not Jordan Travis just 
carrying that they're more well-rounded than people think they and i think rotomaker to be honest at least for these two games i think he can do it man i i'm gonna be honest you know last week okay north alabama but it's also look he wasn't expecting to play in that game until you know until it was supposed to be 42 to 3 or whatever and they were struggling early he came in that game they were behind this is the other thing, too, getting off. This is the one criticism of Florida State. They get off the slow starts. Well, they did it against Northern, I think it was North Alabama. And and he had to come in and still lead them back against a team that was playing actually really good football. I, I cannot imagine, even in that game, that he wasn't nervous as anything walking in there. Mm-hmm. And he made three, he made three big-time throws, had a couple moments under pressure where it got shaky. I think that's a big thing for him. But I'll tell you what. And I went back and watched, ironically, his one start last year was against Louisville. He, when he throws the ball on time, when he sees his first read, I'll tell you what, he's he's got a pretty darn good fastball, man. I'm telling you. And, and last year, you could see immediately, he's got chemistry with Johnny Wilson already. I, I, I think if there's any team prepared to withstand this in this situation with what they have around them. Keep in mind too, I, I got another one for you. I've talked about Oregon all year with their pass protection, right? Since week seven, Florida State's actually got the best pass protection in the country. Wow. They 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 have for the last six weeks pass protected on a level like equal with, with Oregon, which is crazy to think. I don't think it's a thing that gets talked about with Florida State a lot. They're, they're more well-rounded than people think. And I, I think you're about to find that out. Rotomaker, he can do this. Now, the big thing with him is going to be clearly, clearly, clearly late in the play when his first read isn't there, he's not going to move like Travis. He's not the athlete to try. He's a decent athlete, but he's not the athlete Travis is. He's not the improviser Travis is. On schedule, he can absolutely do things that, that can win games. Off schedule, instead of trying to play make like Travis would be the playmaker, he's, he's got to throw the ball away. He's got to slide. He's got to take the occasional sack. He can't mess around too much late in the play because you can tell there's a little more nervous tendency when things get past, let's say, like three seconds. Then start. it's not like that's the part where he's not the same as Jordan Travis. But I'm telling you, if he, when he sticks his back foot in the ground, throws the ball in rhythm and sees his read, I, he, can throw, he can sling it, man. I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from him. He can really – you saw it last year in a handful, you know, a handful of appearances – and you saw it this past week. I'm telling you, he's he's got he's got a darn good arm. And when he yeah. when he throws the when he throws the ball on time, he can make things happen. Yeah, absolutely, can. I mean, he has an 82.7 passing grade on 84 snaps this year. I mean, look at this is just limited sample size, of course. But yeah, I, I'm really anxious and, and excited to see what Tate Roadmaker can do in this kind of environment in the swamp late at night. Dolan, he's not the only backup in this game. Graham Mertz suffered a broken. Uh, collarbone, fractured collarbone in the loss to Missouri. Close loss. Missouri barely pulled that out at the last second, uh, but they ended up winning that game. But Florida, man, they lost not only that game, they lost their starting quarterback in Graham Mertz probably for the entire season now. So you got backup quarterback against backup quarterback with massive, massive stakes for both teams. For Florida State, you're trying to keep your playoff hopes alive right now. For Florida, you're trying to keep your season alive. Because if you lose this game, this is most likely your final game of the season, unless they have the, the GPA necessary to be one of the top five and seven teams. But 
right, is probably is their last game of the season if they lose. So you got a back quarterback in Florida State who needs to win to make the play to have their playoff hopes alive. You need a Florida quarterback who needs to win in order to you know make a bowl game. So I'm really excited to see both these guys, man. And Max Brown, redshirt freshman for Florida, will be getting the start in this game. Uh, he has a 73.3 grade on 49 snaps this year. He did a pretty good job um, in that Missouri game when he had to come in. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see because not only, you know, is this, you know, Florida State without Jordan Travis, but to a lesser extent, this is also, okay, what does Florida look like without Graham Mertz there, who actually, you know, he started off slow in the season, but he's been pretty solid throughout down the stretch of this year as well. So uh, yeah, backup quarterback is backup quarterback. It's going to be very, very interesting to see in this uh, big rivalry game. This is going to sound funny because obviously the, the Travis injury was, it was really the story of the weekend. But for this game alone, in a vacuum, I think the Mertz injury actually has a bigger impact on the game than the Travis injury. Mm. It sounds it sounds funky because it's like a, there's a number of factors. Okay, one Max Brown, you can see Max Brown's a lot different than Graham Mertz. This kid's an athlete. So far, yeah. what I saw last week, the best plays he made were with his feet. So I wonder if Florida gets more in kind of Billy Napier's classic like zone and boot game, get him on the move. move. They knew immediately, immediately, all right, Max is in the game. Like, we have to move the pocket. We have to run read option. We have to basically go in the opposite direction of, of what they would do with Graham Mertz, right? Ironically, of course, hurt running the ball. Whereas I, I think Florida State, I don't think anything in Florida State's offense changes. I, I just think you just get a little less improvisation out of Rotomaker. Mm-hmm. Florida's offense distinctly changed immediately when Brown came in the game. And I think that's going to be the formula lean even more than usual because they already do on ETN, on Montreal Johnson, and on Brown himself. I think running the ball with all three of those guys is going to be Florida's chance to win this game. So I'll, I'll stay on that side of the ball because your problem is I've told you about FSU's corners. Yeah. Here's a fun one. Since week four, ACC play, right? Florida State in coverage only allows a 27.3% open target percentage. Okay? Only 27% of guys targeted do they even, are, are even open when you throw at Florida State since week four. You want to know what the next closest number, at least in the Power Five, is? Hit me. 41. <laughs> When I tell you this is not the game where you wanted to lose your starting quarterback, if you're mm-hmm. playing against Florida State, they I've said it for like three weeks already. They are lights out in coverage. Verse gets all the spotlight, gonna be a top 20 pick, the offense, all this stuff, and then the talk about or oh, are they number four, or number five? It really doesn't matter. If they run the table, they run the table. Their secondary is the X factor. In, in in all of this, if Travis was in there, their secondary would have been the X factor in their national title chances. And it mm-hmm. still is to at least get there, right? This is not the game for Florida to have a backup quarterback going in there. On the other side, if you're Rotomaker and you're Florida State, this is definitely the game <laughs> yeah. where a, yeah. where this is absolutely <laughs> the game where a backup quarterback can survive. First of all, what do they talk about when you have a backup in? Well, okay, let's lean on the run game, complimentary, all that stuff. Florida State runs counter more than anybody, all right? And and just as good as just about anybody. Been doing it since last year. Been doing it since Norvell's got there. 
the Gators really, really struggle with their run fits. When you start pulling linemen, they struggle. I think they were in the bottom when I saw six or seven against counter in the power five. It's just when things get moving and their linebackers have to start using their eyes and feet. If you go back and watch that Kentucky game, I'll, I'll tell you this. Now, Ray Davis, is, well, he was great in that game. He had almost 300 yards. But more than anything, what I saw was the Gators just struggling with run fits, being mm-hmm. late, being late, bad angles, things like that. So the run game, the core of Florida State's run game is very much there to be successful. Okay. Then you get on the back end. The Gators are 113th in the country in yep. coverage grade now. It's gone that far down now. Now you play LSU and Missouri and find out that they really can't keep up with those guys. Luther Burden had almost a hundred, I think he had a buck sixty on him. And I don't know how in the world, how in the world on fourth and seventeen with the game on the line, is Luther Burden standing at the chains by himself? Yeah. I, I'm yeah. I'm just I was like, I was amazed. Of all people, he was standing at the chains on 4th and 17 by himself. I, I don't understand it. They only have three interceptions. The only team in the country with less is Temple. This Gator secondary, this Gator secondary, is, is they've just gone for a ride almost, almost every, except for the Tennessee game. That was the only game that were really like solid. And Tennessee doesn't have the weapons they used to. This is a game Rotomaker is going to have opportunities in this game down the field. Well, it's still it's still Johnny Wilson. It's still Keon Coleman. It's still Jaheim Bell. Tofili's been catching the ball. Benson in the screen game. The Gators, I was a little surprised as we got into the year. Graham Mertz played like for the most part really solid, I would say like B plus football. Mm-hmm. I thought coming, I thought coming into the year he would kind of be the problem. You go and get a Wisconsin quarterback, bring him down to Florida. I don't know how it's going to look. He was solid this year. I'm not going to take anything from him. You could argue, honestly, he was their best player, which says something, I think, about where the Gators are at. But their, their defense is actually the issue. And if their defense doesn't play, and what could – I'm going to be honest with you, the desperation factor needs to be high. I'm going to be – the bowl game thing, you know, they haven't had – this would be – if they lose one more game, mm. this or bowl game, this would be their third losing season in a row. They haven't had three losing seasons in a row, I believe, since the early 40s. It's been 80 <laughs> years. 80 years since the Gators have had three losing seasons in a row. And Billy Napier would be in charge of two of them. They yeah. got rid of Dan Mullen. They got rid of Dan Mullen after one. You you could see this could be one way or another a program defining game for the Gators moving forward. And and, and they badly they badly need this win, but I think Rotomaker is a lot. There's a lot more things in this game that set up Rotomaker for success better than Brown. The Gators really their one shot is to just be absolutely stellar in the run game. Yeah, and I think Bill Napier. I don't know if he'd be coaching for his job in this game, but I think a, a win obviously I think would keep him alive I, for another year. I'll tell you what. I think he is. I, I was getting there, but that play—they had the lead last week, and yeah. Missouri in a fourth and, and Missouri in a fourth and seventeen, and the next four plays just, uh, just I, I don't. Uh, I, I I kind of think he is. Yeah, and obviously a win I, over I, a top five team, even so. on a backup quarterback. But you're on a backup quarterback too, so it's like you kind of even it out in that way. But yeah, I don't. I, think, I don't. I, I don't think. I don't think after the way their defense has played all year and the Gators, even in prior down years over the last decade, like say when they had like 
you know, guys like John Brantley and Felipe Franks and other guys, even Anthony Richardson going six and six. It's kind of disappointing, right? Mm-hmm. Until the last year or two, they never had issues on defense. I, I remember the Gators in the last decade, like trying to find the offense and the Tebow replacement more, but still playing elite defense and special teams where it's like, okay, if we won nine games, defensive special teams and quarterback was kind of a struggle. And Kyle Trask for the one year, won 10 games. I've, at least since I've been around, which isn't that long, I've never seen a Florida Gators defense struggling the way they're struggling right now. And and it's that, and I think the, I think the way last week's game ended, uh, that might play a big part in it. They should have won that game. You, I don't. I know it's Missouri, and we love Missouri here. But man, you no, get they lost that fourth, game, man. Yeah. You get you get it. You get a team in a fourth and seventeen like that, and you leave Luther Burden standing at the sticks by himself. That's that's a rough one to come back from. That's yeah. a rough one, and, and to have to come back against this team even without Jordan Travis. That's that's a tall. It is still even with Rota, It's a tall task for a defense that's been struggling all year. Yeah, it absolutely is. So I think you made a good point. This is the defense that you want Roadmaker to to have his first start against. And then obviously next week he's got Louisville. So it's like that's a defense you don't want to you know be throwing a new quarterback in the fire. But hopefully you can build up his confidence enough in this game that you can go into a Louisville game semi confident. Obviously go to Silicon because a great defense. But yeah, man, this is. It's, it's alarming, too, because Florida has a couple really good players on their defense. Princely Yvonne Mielin has been a star for the last few years now. I think he's a really underrated prospect in the NFL draft, a really underrated edge defender in college football. But Jason Marshall Jr., their corner, I, I thought he was a top 10 to 15 corner in the country before the season. He's really, you know, he's been fine this year, but they need him to be the lockdown guy. He just hasn't been that for them this year. So, yeah, it's a disappointing defense, man. And not only a disappointing one, but a bad one at that as well. So, I don't know if I have to ask you, Don. Do you think Florida State is going to beat Florida in this one? But how badly do you think the Seminoles are going to take down the Gators in this one? Um, you've got the rivalry factor. You've got the night swamp factor. You've got, I think, the weird factor of Max Brown being a lot different than Graham Mertz. Uh, I, I'm curious to see what the Gators have coming in the run game um, for this. I, I, I think it's still a competitive game. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to say... I'm going to say something like 35 to 26 Florida state. Mm. I, I still think you've got a boatload of weapons. You got a ton of weapons for Florida state and you've got a Gator defense. You know, you mentioned like Marshall and what's going on there. They make a lot of mental mistakes. It's yeah. not their ability. It's not their ability. They have talented guys. So, you know, it's still defense. It's the Florida Gators, man. They always have talented defensive players, but for them to be the third worst cover team in the power five over the last seven weeks, it's they make a ton of mental mistakes because usually teams that are that bad and cover like even it's kind of like we mentioned earlier with utsa same thing like they have the ability to do this mm-hmm. they just make they you know the first half of the season made a boatload of mental mistakes the gators have just continued to do that they, yeah. they just b- bad angles ton of missed tackles last week I, it felt like they couldn't make the first tackle for anything and and again you know and then they just if you don't create turnovers you have the fewest interceptions you've only got three three interceptions all season it's hard to win like that you know you have to force turnovers eventually to be a good defense but I I like Florida State I'll take them 35 to 26 I think the Gators one shot in this game is the run game yeah I I, there's there's just too many factors here that set up Rotomaker for success you know as long as he doesn't get like rattled on the road and trying to keep the undefeated thing going 
but but I think Norvell, I think he's got a good feel in this offense for what's working, what's going to work against this Florida team. You know, last year, you know, the game was close last year, even with Anthony Richardson going nine for 27. These games are always close, but I, I just like Florida State, they're more talented, they're better coached. I like the matchup schematically. Next week, we're, we'll have a real conversation about that. That's going to take a lot of, of examining mm-hmm. them, them against Louisville with Rotomaker in there. And, and a lot of it's going to be how he plays this week. You know, Louisville, right now, Louisville and Florida's defense, it's not even close. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's a whole, it'll be a whole different battle. But this is still a team, if you believe before, that Florida State has elite weapons, solid backs, very underrated offensive line, and a nasty, nasty coverage unit. They, they've got all the things they should have to have success. I, I, I get where there's a, a road for the Gators here, but I'm not going down that road. No, I'm not going down either. I got Florida State winning this one, 31-23. Now, I do think uh, an interesting aspect of it was Florida State, they've done a lot better recently. But in the beginning of the season, I remember we talked about their big weakness was their run defense, Florida State. They really were not playing well in run defense. Again, they fixed it recently. Now they're 42nd in run defense grade, which is not great, but it's still above average. Um, but I think if Florida you know, can take advantage of that, maybe make the Seminoles look like what they look like early in the season – that's the avenue, I think, for Florida in this game is to we, – we said it every time we do a Florida game is always ride the run game. They finally did it against Tennessee, and that's get, why they get up. Ahead, get ahead. Get ahead early. Score yeah. first. Don't go down 7 nothing on the first play of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do, get – because it, it feels like it's just that's the way. If they score first like they did against Tennessee, we're cool. If we come out like we did against Utah or they were behind – I mean, Max Brown came in the game, I think, they were down and then they were down nine late in that game. I mean, they get ahead mm-hmm. early. Win the coin That's toss, simple. get the ball first. That's a coin toss game again. Yeah. Yeah. Florida State. I got Florida State winning this one 31 23. I think they survived their first test without Jordan Travis. Got a massive one coming up next week against Louisville in the ACC championship game. But I think Florida State survives and finishes the regular season with an undefeated record. Before we wrap this up, Don, I wanted to ask you about Florida State real quick. Say say if we we're both wrong. Say Florida does end up winning this game. Do you think Florida State is out of it? Or do you think if they beat Louisville, they would still get in over a Texas or someone like that? No, a loss to either one takes them out. Yeah. We've already seen how we've already seen how they've treated Florida State. To be honest, I'm I'm fully expecting tomorrow that that they'll be number five that they're going to slide washington ahead of them I, yeah. I i think we we've already seen how they're treating florida state in these rankings i don't understand it i, I don't get it at all i i've said this whole time i think you could argue them up to number two um based on based on resume and, and i and just look i get it every team after they've played florida state for some reason has fallen apart they got the poison they got something i don't know what they have i don't know what they have down there but but they still won those games they beat they beat LSU convincingly. They went into Clemson and won when Clemson was playing arguably their best football. I know they've looked good the last couple weeks too, but like Clemson mm-hmm. was playing well. And any win at Clemson's a good win. Beat Duke convincingly when they were ranked. But we've seen how the committee will treat them. And I think momentum is obviously a big factor in this in this committee's thing right now. Like with Oregon being still I Still kind of don't know why they're number six still over Texas. 
Mm-hmm. Or I could argue them down to eight behind Bama as well. Yeah, I would. But they like momentum. They like the eye test. Florida State's one, other than quarterback now, one big flaw for me was just they get off to slow starts. Second half, again, it happened last week. Second half of games, they're basically the best team in the country. Yeah. They just, the first half of games, they play like a good team. They play like an eight or nine win team in the, in the first half of these games. So, mm-hmm. That's really the one flaw, and that's why it's ugly. When you when you look at a score when you're not watching the game and it's halftime and it's a seven point game, you go, Why are they number why are they top five? And I just wait. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kinda it's kinda that thing. But no, a loss, especially this week. A loss takes them out though. Because losing next week, then Louisville's in play, Oregon's in play. What is there's too much going on. They they can't lose a game. They they've and I, honestly I think Washington's in the same I, I all these teams. I think the only team right now that's going to have an argument if they lose a game from here in is going to be Georgia. Yeah. They're the only they're the only team where I could see something happening where you go okay, they lost but we can leave them at number 4. And even then you're going to be arguing about, you know, like with Bama, with Texas, if Oregon wins if 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 you get like a bunch of upsets if you, it, it's going to be a disaster. I don't know what the, they might as well expand it this year. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. how, I don't even know how, but I'm assuming you've just got playoff games now. And for Florida State, it's just every week is just a playoff game. It, it just is now. We're at that point. Yeah. I think if Georgia loses this weekend, I think they have Georgia Tech this weekend. So if some reason they lose this weekend, I think they still get in with a win over Alabama. I think that's that. So I, they, they're the only one that can lose this weekend. And I think I still feel good about them. It'd be a rough loss. That'd be a rough, but I, I'm not even, I, it's going to sound bad, uh, but I, I'm not even going to entertain that. No, Georgia, I know. I think Georgia losing this, Georgia losing this weekend. I don't think Washington's losing this weekend either. No, no, no. But say say Wazoo, Wazoo does beat Washington. I think if Washington beats Oregon again, I think they get in though. So Wazoo's Wazoo's not a good loss, man. No, I know, but aren't, I aren't think they, are they, what are they are they four and seven? Yeah, Maybe but I think Washington six. Washington beat Oregon twice then. They beat Oregon State. Um yeah, I think I don't know. I, I, I don't think I don't I don't think I think Georgia's the only one. With some other, and I think they still need help. Georgia's a tough one. They're the one tough one, but I think anybody beyond that, if you suffer a loss from here out, and you've seen already that how they're high on Michigan and they're not that high on Washington and Florida State, or, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think a loss from here in gets anybody in the playoff. Interesting. I, just, I, I just don't, I just don't think so. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Georgia's the only one, and that's only if they lose to Bama. If they lose this week, you the arguments are going to be off the chain. It's, that's not going to happen, though. They're not losing to Georgia Tech. I, I think if they lose to Georgia Tech and they beat Alabama, I think yeah, that's what it meant, no matter what. I think a one loss I, beating Bama, like, uh, I think, even if they just screw around, I don't know. No, I, I think there's, that's enough. There's, there is too much, there's too much going on there because then you got to put Bama in. I'm sorry, you'd have to put Bama in. Over... If they, lose to, if they lose to Georgia? Oh, over – no, if Bama beats Georgia. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're in. Yeah, I'm, they're I'm in. putting them – well, here's your problem. Here's where the numbers rack, okay? Big Ten champ, yep. whichever. Alabama, Pac-12 champ. Texas. And what, if Florida, and what if Florida State does run the table? Yeah, Florida State and Texas, yeah. You, you they, could they have, run – even yeah. if you're Georgia losing to Bama, you could run out of room 
This is why the playoffs are now. I, I you could argue even with even including Georgia that any team with a loss from here in is done. Yeah. Even the even the undefeated teams. I it's it's not oh. Look, I, the play, this is right now, you want to imagine an expanded playoff. You have an 18 playoff right now with Kansas, not Kansas, um Texas floating as this weird ninth. They're the they're the weird one. They're the weird one. There are some there are some teams in this group that need Texas. They want Texas to lose so bad. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, and we'll see what happens. They might do it this week or next week. We'll see. But I think Florida State to go back to that. I think Florida State with the eye test thing and with the fact they are going to factor in Jordan Travis. If they lose a game, if they lose this game, they are going to factor that in. And I think that I, I think if kill I think if they I, I think if they lost a game with Travis, they'd be out. I don't think yeah. that matters. Yeah, they, you already see you already see how they're treating them. But it's even the eye. Yeah, but it's even more with without Travis because they they've done that before. Where it's like, okay, they, you can look at it, and now they have an excuse to leave out Florida State. Whereas right now, if they go undefeated, you have no excuse. You can't you can't but leave them out if they any, they go undefeated. Any loss, but. any loss from any of these nine teams, the numbers just don't work in their favor yeah. because they're all they're all eight of them are playing each other. Mm-hmm. It's just you you've got the quarterfinals over the next two weeks. Yeah, that's that's it's just what you have, and then Texas floating in there to ruin someone's day, maybe. Yeah. Like that's that's just that's just where you're at. You've got the quarterfinals are this and next Saturday, mm-hmm. Friday or Friday, whatever any whatever day anybody's playing. That's the quarterfinals are now. You have you you kind of sort of have an 18 playoff right now. Yeah, you have it just unofficially. Mm-hmm. You do, and then a committee. I, you know they've been talking about all these chaos scenarios and all that. I <laughs> I don't even want to see it because I I already know. I, I don't know what the standards are for this committee. I have no mm-hmm. idea. I, I so I, it's but either way, I mean, you've got all these teams went out. Some of them will get in if they win out. Some of them will have to see what happens. I mean, you know, and then you got other stuff. What if Auburn beats Bama for some reason? I know our guy Zach. I know our guy Zach is vouching for it, but um, <laughs> Bama's out. If they lose to Auburn, they, even if they beat Georgia, I think I don't know, man. I two lost Bama would be tough to put in. Um, oh so, no! If they lose to Auburn, they're if they lose to Auburn, they're done. Yeah, yeah. So if they lose regardless. Be, if they lose to either of them, they're done. No, yeah. If there's yeah, they can't lose. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's gonna be fun. That's gonna be fun. The next couple of weeks are gonna be very, very fun with nine teams left, and we still have only four playoff spots. So it's gonna be very, very fun seeing what shakes out over rivalry weekend and of course over conference championship weekend as well. So again, this is the only episode we're doing this week with the whole Thanksgiving uh, going on. But afterwards, next week we'll probably be doing a video. Um, probably on, on the path for every team to make the college football playoff, the ones that are remaining heading into conference championship Saturday. Uh, and then also, of course, we'll preview a ton of the conference championship games as well for you guys. Make sure you guys subscribe to the channel for that. Subscribe to the uh, audio channels as well. You know, Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever. Leave your comments there. Leave a five-star review there. Leave your questions there. We'll get to them in a future mailbag episode. Once things start to slow down, once we get to bowl season, we might do some mailbag episodes and stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's what we got for our Week 13 Rivalry Weekend preview. So, for Dalton Wasserman, for Producer Eli, I'm Max Chadwick, and we'll see you guys next time.